So what we do is we use some machine learning and we use some artificial intelligence to say, okay, every golf swing is unique, but every golf swing is made up of pieces that are similar to other golf swings. And so we basically can, by capturing very specific information from each golfer, we are able to kind of stitch together the overall profile of that golfer's swing. This is The Tournament Code. We appreciate you taking the time to join us today, Damon. You know a little bit about your background, a little bit about Golf EQ. I'm excited for our listeners to learn a little bit about Golf EQ. But before we do that, we'll start where we do with every guest, which is tell us a little bit about your golf background and how you got into the game of golf. Yeah, so I came, I came into golf um, in a little bit of a unique way. So I, was, I grew up playing other sports, so specifically baseball and basketball, I transitioned into golf later in my kind of athletic journey. So really didn't even pick up a club until I was 16 or 17 years old, roughly a junior in high school, and really didn't start playing seriously um, until college. And then was fortunate enough to be able to actually join the competitive uh, golf team at, at our at our school. Um, I went to a small university in Missouri called William Woods University. It's not too far away from uh, Columbia, Missouri, where the University of Missouri is located. We had a great golf program there. We actually competed on a national level. I was not one of the top five to seven golfers that regularly, you know, played in the tournament events, that kind of thing. But it did teach me a lot about high-level golf, um, kind of vicariously watching kind of elite golfers play. We had several golfers that kind of moved on to playing professionals in different levels. Um, some of them are still doing so. So mostly uh, after that, my golf career kind of transitioned into more of the professional side. I am currently pursuing a PhD in biomedical engineering at Duke University. So I spent a lot of time thinking about how golfers can play better golf through their equipment choices and through the things that they're kind of doing out on the course. Currently, my golf is recreational, just like a lot of, of your listeners, presumably. I play once to twice a month whenever I can have some free time. I go out mostly to enjoy it. If I shoot in the low to mid-70s, um, that's a good day for me. For someone who may not be super familiar, how does biomedical engineering tie in with golf eq and what you're doing with that yeah it's a it's an excellent question um, because on on the surface level it may seem like there there aren't a lot of corollaries there so my original research when i was an undergrad at william woods university was using computer vision kind of a slight derivative of artificial intelligence if you will to deliver radiation therapy to cancer patients and, and not to dive into too much of the specifics about that but basically we're taking automated computer programs and saying, how could we very effectively deliver radiation only to the tumors and leave the healthy tissues alone? And so that transitioning into my PhD work, which is focused around sensor technology, building technologies that can actually kind of accurately capture patient-specific data and then recommend treatment options to them or um, drug-level titrations specifically, that parlays well into capturing golfer information and trying to recommend golf clubs or golf equipment to them. So the, the corollary is directly just kind of in my background in artificial intelligence, and it's just the application of that to, to very distinct problems. In my PhD work, that's focused primarily on helping people optimize treatments or to gain diagnosis. Um, and then in the golf space, that is around um, getting people the right golf clubs. Well, perfect. Tell people a little bit about the origin of Golf EQ, you and your co-founders, and then what Golf EQ does on a high level. And then we'll start diving into some of the specifics and break down and ask some questions about some of the other areas in there. Sure. Happy to. So Golf EQ started roughly three years ago um, with a very simple mission of helping people find the best products for their game. So um, right now we do 
golf clubs. We have plans to, to move into other things, specifically golf balls. That's a little bit of a longer discussion. But very briefly, the way that golf EQ functions is, it is true in that every golf swing is unique. So my golf swing is going to look different than yours or, or anyone else that really tries our system. And so what we do is we use some machine learning and we use some artificial intelligence to say, okay, every golf swing is unique, but every golf swing is made up of pieces that are similar to other golf swings. And so we basically can, by capturing very specific information from each golfer, um, a lot of that information can be gathered through launch monitors like your TrackMan or your GC Quad, et cetera. We are able to kind of stitch together the overall profile of that golfer's swing. We can match that to other golf swings that we've measured, and then we can recommend golf clubs based on those matches um, in which we've seen high levels of performance from those particular builds in those golf swings. What are some of those metrics that you take from the GC Quad or the TrackMan? Yeah, excellent, excellent question. So we take all of them when they're available from the GC Quad. So very specifically, we take things like golf swing speed, golf club path, golf attack angle, golf base to path relationships, closure rates, you know, other strike locations, um, those kinds of things. Then we also add in player metrics, height, weight, arm length, hand size, that kind of thing. And then we also couple that to playing preferences. So for example, some people want to see, you know, for a right-handed golfer, it'd be a left to right you know, cut fade, right to left, draw, those kind of things. Other players want to see the opposite. Other people tend to guard against their worst shots. So, right, most amateur golfers will miss with a slice. So sometimes we're building to prevent against that. But your high-level players might struggle more with a hook. So we have to guard against that. So, again, basically the, the combination of measurables that come out of the GC quad, measurables that come off of the human themselves, and then the playing preferences that are typically more subjective and delivered to us just kind of you know, either verbally or kind of by a written form. Okay. It's interesting. Well, let's say, let's say I'm listening to this and I say, okay, I get it. Like you guys can predict what golf clubs are going to be best for my golf swing. Maybe, but like I can just go to PGA tour superstore. I can go to my fitter. I can go to them and they can put me in the right golf club. What problem in there are you solving? And what would you say to that person? Sure. It's, it's great. So we, we don't necessarily see our technology as competitive to club fitters, we see it as complementary. And so when you're talking about the in-person club fitting, whether it's a PGA Superstore, whether it's at your other big box stores like Golf Galaxy or otherwise, or, or even when you go to specialized club fitters where that's all they do, your true specs, your club champions of the world, those places offer a great service. And I want to preface what I'm getting ready to say with the fact that I believe that all golfers should be golf club fit and they should be seeing professional golf club fitters because some of the stuff that I'm getting ready to say will lead to some kind of challenges of those club fitting services, but I don't want to mislead golfers into thinking that I think those services are bad or that they're counterproductive because right now they are the current gold standard and people should be seeing those services. We hope to build on top of that foundation that have kind of already been put in place. Having said all that, there are two critical problems of the in-person club fitting experience. Number one is time and number two is inventory. And so based on studies that we have done and studies that have, that have kind of been published elsewhere, we know that a, a given golfer only has so many kind of quote unquote good swings in a day. That number can fluctuate depending on the fitness level of the golfer and their kind of skill level. But let's just say for the sake of this discussion, it's around 50 to 100 swings a day. If you're comparing that to how many you might see on a golf course, right? An average golfer is going to shoot somewhere around 90 to 100. On an average round, a lot of those are going to be made up with chips and putts, right? So on a, on a full swing, talking about drivers and fairy woods, you're probably somewhere in the 20 to 30 range at most on a given day. 
they're going two to three to even five times that in a club fitting setting, you're really kind of maxing out your body's ability to hit good golf shots. Anything more than that, you start to test the golfer, not the golf equipment. So any of the golf equipment you start to hit after that, you're really comparing the golfer's stamina level to them earlier in the test, not really the products they were testing first versus the ones they're testing now. That makes sense. So that's kind of where your your time is limited. You only get a certain amount of shots. You only get enough time with the club fitter to go through. Again, given those constraints, you're either fitting one club a day or you're hitting very um, few amount of shots with several different clubs. The other thing is inventory. You're only going to be able to try the list of clubs that that golf club fitter has in stock. So some professional club fitting studios, yes, they have thousands or even hundreds of thousands and millions of combinations they can give you, but they're still limited to what's on that wall. And again, even even when you have all of the options available, you're still time constrained. And so what we would like to do with our system is, and we do this with the club fitters who we have currently partnered with, is we allow them to measure the golfers as they come in. We give them a very short list of golf clubs they should be trying. And then so let's say that you have three highly rated drivers that are going to match your swing very well, you can spend the entire time of your fitting really drilling down the specific details for those three drivers that are ultimately going to lead you to better results on the course. So those are those are those. And then just rounding out the kind of, you know, the the final problem is no matter how great your in-person club fitting experience is, that information that that club fitter is able to gather is a snapshot in time. And what you really need to do is that you need to track performance over long durations of time, over an entire playing season to really be able to develop those patterns that golfers need to ultimately play better golf. And so when it comes to handling things over a longer period of time, et cetera, is that something that you guys, your technology is assisting on, or is that something that uh, the fitter needs to figure out? Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. So it's, it's really, it's really a two-part service um, in the way that we see it. And it, it really involves some technology that we currently have available and then some technology that we currently have under development. And basically we see the club fitting aspect of it going hand in hand with a club caddying aspect of it. And so the, the duration over time is exactly what you're, what you're imagining is, is the club caddy experience. So it's like right now I have 175 yards to a pin. You know, one golfer might need to hit seven iron to that pin. One golfer might be needing to be into a hybrid um, in that pin. And so allowing us to be able to, to kind of go step by step with the golfer as they're playing, learn about their equipment, learn about how they're using that equipment with success and failure, that all feeds back into our club fitting approach. So we can take that one snapshot event, we can build them what we believe is going to be the best foundation for them, and then we can iterate over time as we make caddying recommendations to them with varying levels of success and failure. It sounds like you guys are going to build kind of a full service model to help take care of the golfer, which is very neat. I wanted to jump back to some of the fitting process there you guys recommend club heads my understanding of one of the problems in fitting is okay you might have like let's say you have that big inventory you have 20 different iron heads you could be using or something like that that are relatively decent and the question isn't just okay can i test all these next to each other i also probably need to figure out there might be a shaft that's better in one head than better in the other head and if you're not testing the best of each of those against each other, you're not really getting a full picture of what's best for you. Tell us a little bit about if there's anything you guys are doing on that front to help solve that problem and a little bit more about how the fitting process works in that regard. Sure. So there's, there's one additional problem that um, you kind of alluded to there, but didn't explicitly say in that most club fitting places will only allow you to hit six or seven iron, but then they're going to try to build you a set that might be four through pitching wedge or something like that. So not only are they trying to fill in the gaps from club heads and 
uh, shaft matches, they're also trying to gap you through the entire bag by essentially just a best guess. So our system addresses both of those things. Number one, our current system does do shafts. We cannot do that in an automated fashion. That does take human intervention. And so it does take a little bit of back and forth, specifically because a lot of the shaft bit, quote unquote, is subjective in how the player responds to it. So there, there are immeasurables that come out of the shaft bit that we can't um, fully automate. And again, um, hearkening back to where we began this discussion, anytime we can't provide information with a great level of confidence that's going to be accurate, we reserve that and we simply don't deliver that to the golfer. We see bad information for the golfer as being counterproductive. To, to, to simply no information, essentially. And so our system fits both. It fits the combination of golf ball, golf head, and golf shaft. We, we do not see the three as independent kind of components. We see them as a system that has to work together in order to get people their best fits. And then with that, we can also use the information that we have through a, a very, you know, kind of elegant mathematical process known as linear regression, essentially to build that gapping. So based on seven iron data, we can actually build you a mathematical model of how far you should be hitting your four iron or your uh, respective hybrid that should be filling that gap. Five iron, same thing, respective hybrid six, all the way down to pitching wedge or gap wedge or kind of wherever you need to, to break that. That's the other thing kind of that we see as one of our advantages is we don't fit clubs based on their club titles. For example, we don't fit a driver and then a fairway wood. We don't fit a six iron and then a seven iron. We, have, we know that you have 14 spots in the bag. We're going to fit you 13 of them. We don't do putters right now for reasons that we can discuss if you'd like, but we do we do one through 13 and we do those independent of their club types. So it, it's very possible that golfer A will come in, have driver, five wood, three hybrid, six iron through, you know, typical pitching wedge and then have a mix of chippers and other wedges or, you know, maybe a mini driver that might help them hit a different shape or something like that. And then driver B comes in and has a very standard setup where it's driver three wood, five wood, four iron through pitching wedge, and, and then three, you know, kind of specialized wedges on top of that. So. so what does your wedge fitting process look like? I think most people that, you know, are serious about golf recognize the importance of getting fit for a driver, getting fit for a set of irons, but not a lot of people get fit for wedges. Yeah, wedges and adding to that, the other spot of the bag that is completely overlooked in the fitting is that hybrid four iron kind of region. Um, so because there's, again, inventory time constraints, et cetera, et cetera. But focusing uh, specifically to your point about the wedges, um, it, it looks the same. Basically, as a, as a driver or a seven iron fit, you come in, you can swing with wedges, or we can extrapolate that information based on uh, your seven iron data or even just your driver data. The more information we have, the more accurate we can be, um, but it looks the exact same. And basically, it starts with correlating things like the loft, the lie, the face angle, the center of gravity, the uh, grind shape, and then the sole width of those wedges to your specific delivery patterns, the types of grass that you play in. Again, this goes back to the measurables, which is kind of your delivery, and then the immeasurables, which is where are you typically playing golf most frequently. You know, how how do you want to play some of these shots? You know, some people are they want to play them with a little bit more of an open face, club face, et cetera, et cetera. That leads me to a question which might be a harder one to answer or maybe just a tougher one. This area is like a developing area. We've talked a little about golf balls and we'll talk a little bit about your golf ball fitting some. But when it comes to something like wedges, what differentiates you from, say, some like Vokey I know has their own wedge fitting, maybe AI system. I'm not sure what the back what the back end is, but on the front end, essentially, you know, you go hit 20 wedge shots of varying distances. You tell it, hey, here's what I use this style of wedge for. And then it tells you, here's what loft grind to have, et cetera. It doesn't tell you like shaft link or other things like that. 
tell us a little bit about like what's what differentiates you guys from that. Yeah, so I, I'm, I'm similar to you in that I've, I'm not privy to the information that Vokey or, or any other OEM is using on, on their back end. So I, I won't speculate about exactly how they're doing that. But I can tell you from our perspective, the, the number one key differentiator uh, among those would be that we're brand agnostic, right? So we have no incentive to sell you Vokey where they're only going to be limited from the inventory of Vokeys. And Vokeys are great wedges. I use Vokeys. So this is nothing against Vokey, but it, but it happens. It's, it's very rare that any one golfer would need top to bottom one brand. In their golf bag, and so brand agnostic is is a, an important component of actually trying to optimize your your entire golf bag. And then diving into the more specifics of it, we we, we think we have an advantage in that we have some of the leading domain expertise in artificial intelligence when it comes to golf. There are other competing companies that are that are focused on um, delivering this information, but our entire brand equity is built on providing accurate, actionable information, and so. You know, Vokey's number one primary goal. This is not a, a, an indictment of, of, of quality, but it's, it's going to be to sell you golf clubs. Our you know, number one goal is to provide you information so that you can play better golf, or else you're not incentivized at all to come back to us or to use us again. Tell us a little bit about the background and testing that's gone into this. Because if I'm if I'm a person listening to this for the first time, hearing I'm like, okay, like this sounds good. Like I would love to go to my fitter. I would love to that for them to be able to take a few, watch me hit a few swings, be able to get me into something that we're like 95% sure is going to be good for me and then spend the rest of the time tuning that. And it's nice. It That sounds nice, but like, how do I know it's accurate? How do I know the backend work is done? And how do I know it's not just, okay, like we plugged in some data and we got, we got something out of it. How do we know it's not guy go garbage in, garbage out? Yeah, it's, your, it's a great question. And I'll get a little bit technical here at different pieces. So please feel free to kind of stop me and ask for you know further information or, or to, to, to explain it in a slightly different way. I'm very happy to kind of um, accommodate that. But I want to, to, to kind of fully answer this question. I want to go all the way back to where we kind of started with Golf EQ. And then I, I will kind of take you through the journey and how the technology has kind of progressed as we found you know different use cases for the kind of systems that we've built. So I want to begin with a, with a very, very simple kind of thought experiment in that right now, if you go to an in-person club fitting or if you're testing golf clubs on yourself, there is no objective measure for which one of those golf clubs that you test is ultimately going to be best. And what I mean by that is you don't necessarily know if club A gives you five more yards than club B, but if club B gives you 5% more accuracy than club A, which one of those two options you can pick. And so strokes gained does give us a fairly solid foundation for comparing clubs that you're testing in an instant. Meaning if, if you go head to head and you put club A versus club B, you can use strokes gain to kind of parse those two things out to tell you which one might ultimately lead you to lower scores. That data exists in a vacuum. You can't then go and say, okay, I'm going to test those two clubs on Monday, and then I'm going to test two different clubs on Wednesday and compare them because your performance has changed, et cetera, et cetera. So we needed a more sophisticated mathematical system that allowed us to not just take the information that we capture in a day, but to actually be able to allow us to extrapolate information over time. So the way that we did that, and we, we did this through an iterative process, we did a lot of things that simply just did not work. We had terrible accuracy, et cetera, et cetera. So basically what we started with doing is we, we um, purchased a GC Quad launch monitor. Um, we use that for our indoor testing. We set up an indoor testing facility um, here in, in Durham, North Carolina, which is where I'm based. And we had regular amateur golfers come in hitting shots with different products in our testing facility. So you would have one golfer coming in on a Monday of one week. You'd have them coming in on a different day of the next week. We did four events 
per each club configuration per each golfer. So we ended up hitting, I don't actually know what the total was, um, hundreds of thousands of shots basically with amateur golfers in our GC quad to actually build these systems. And we essentially took all of the different swing parameters from all of those amateur golfers and we connected those to golf club builds that, you know, were best fit for them based on that kind of in person testing. That was level one. Level two, what we were then able to do is we said, okay, now we have a system that can make recommendations, but how accurate are those recommendations? So we brought in more amateur golfers and we said, okay, let's measure you. Then we'll make recommendations based on our current system. And then we'll see how accurate those recommendations are and we'll adjust as needed. And so that's what we did. We brought in amateur golfers. They hit clubs. We predicted, you know, this is going to be your first best club, your second best club, your third best club. We then had them test those options. And then we then check them again to see how accurate our recommendations were. And over time, um, and this is a process that is still ongoing, over time, our predictions, our estimations get better and better and better. And that's why we've done slow rolls with our technology. Once our our internal thresholds for accuracy are, are reached, we essentially say, okay, we think the information is now accurate enough to be able to help people. And so we release it into, into, into the public, basically. And again, we we've been very methodical in the way that we've kind of released this technology because we don't want to be providing bad information. And that's why right now our focus is on partnering with club fitters so that we can help the club fitter help the client and not going directly to the golfers who, you know, may or may not be able to provide us an accurate representation of their game. Because as you kind of alluded to earlier, Daniel, if you don't get great information into the recommendation system, then the recommendation system doesn't do a very good job, right? It recommends to the inputs that you put in, but not necessarily the inputs the actual golfer for these amateur golfers after going through that process was there a club or an area of the bag that they were the most misfit i guess or where you were able to make the biggest change in there yep so the very short answer is long iron slash high lofted fairy woods and hybrids that is due to kind of industry standards and that those clubs are very difficult to fit um, because you just need significant inventory to even begin to touch it and not really i'm not actually aware of any commercial club fitters that have like an array of four irons on the wall for you to test, right? Or, or five irons or kind of whatever. So it, very short, that's the answer. But I do also want to add just to that is the most important club for any golfer to be fit for is the driver. So you're going to get more of a strokes gain swing, uh, you know, advantage, disadvantage from, from dialing in your driver compared to any other club in your bag. So I don't want to emphasize that long irons are the most important from a golfer perspective. It's just the most often overlooked. So I just want to make that uh, distinction. It sounds like one of the things that you're saying that you talked about, they're not fit for four irons, hybrids, and even five irons enough. It sounds like from what you're saying in the fitting process, probably like six, if you're, if you're saying, okay, we have 14 slots in the bag, we could have different brands. Arguably, we could have different brands, different clubs for every single, every single slot in the bag. Realistically, though, what it sounds like you're saying is like six iron through pitching wedge or something like that. You probably can go the same brand, same build. You're not going to see significant results. And then four iron, five iron, you're probably going to be want to be retesting those to see if you're in the right thing. Is that correct? And tell us a little bit more about the and, and hybrid as well. Tell us a little bit more about the methodology behind that, what you've seen, and like if I was coming into a place that had this technology, was using it for a fitting, what they might tell me on that front. All great points. And the, the very short answer is yes. And, and we've seen OEMs kind of recapitulate those facts in the sense that they have increased the frequency of releasing combo sets in the in previous years. So even even the golf club manufacturers are knowing that like your six iron and an amateur golfer's eight iron, for example, and their four iron should almost never match. You know, even even within a set that might not be a, a true combo set, there's still progressive CGs. There's still all kinds of things that they're doing at those different lofts to make those amenable 
to each, each golfer. So absolutely, you're 100% kind of spot on. And the way that our, our system does that, again, like you've said, is, is, is it treats the eight iron or and the six iron and the four iron or whatever that spot is, not as a club that has to be fit for, but as a an opportunity in a golf bag to give you the best tool for that purpose, if that makes sense. And so the way that it does that is it says, okay, if you swing driver at 100 miles an hour, we can use that information to extrapolate what you should be swinging at at a certain length that your club spot number four should be set at. And then based around that information, we can then build you a hypothetical best club. Even if that club doesn't actually exist in practice, we build you a hypothetical best club with a loft, with a lie, with a length, with a face angle, with a center of gravity specific for your golf swing. And then we say, okay, of all of the available options that you could possibly purchase, which one is is the exact closest to that? And so what we see frequently, especially on the amateur golf front where the amateur golfers tend to overestimate their swing speeds, is almost no one is playing the right club in those lower lofted irons. Um, far, far too few people are playing a hybrid to adequately fit for them and or um, a higher lofted fairway wood that's adequately fit for them. And a lot of it has to do with just the intricacies of how those golf clubs have to be set up and the, the number of different parameters that you have to take into consideration as you're fitting those golf clubs. For example, it, it's, it's very often the case that in order to fill out that, you know, let's call it the fourth spot, which, which could be a four iron for some people, um, the loft of that four iron and the subsequent loft of the hybrid or the higher lofted fairway that they would swap out for it, they're not the same. Right, you, you might need a higher loft of an iron compared to a lower loft of a fairway, which has a, has a, a deeper and more rearward center of gravity to, to get the same amount of uh, launch. Right, so you need more loft in the iron, less loft in the fairway would actually get that golf ball flying out in the window that you want to see it exiting out of. And so there's a lot of lot of different things going on there, and it just it kind of overloads humans again, going back to this problem of time and inventory. Yeah, that's a problem that I've seen in fitting and I had a great fitting experience recently really enjoyed my fitter but I felt bad for like and I don't mean this in a derogatory ways but people like I'm a decent golfer I know when I've hit a good I know when I've hit a good shot and I know when I've hit okay that's about the shot I'm going to hit like worse and worse you get the less good shots you're going to hit and so you don't know really what your good shots are necessarily going to look like on a given club and when I was with my fitter I was grateful for that the fact that I could be like, all right, I hit two shot, I hit two shots with like a club. I was like, all right, that's about as good as I'm going to hit that thing. Like that's going to be pretty standard of what we're looking for. Like I don't like this, I do like this. Uh, let's mess it around. So let me try more combinations. But it could be tough trying all the combinations. One thing I had a question about, you might not have an answer for that, and that this is okay because it's a little bit niche of a question. Okay, so we've talked about like four through pitching wedge. We've talked a little bit about other wedges as well. And again, the tool is brand agnostic. Have you seen anything about that that A wedge spot or that like gap wedge spot in between some of the areas? Because that's the most interesting one to me. You know, a lot of a lot of club makers make A wedges or gap wedges or something like that. Or you could go to Titleist or someone like that and buy a bokey fifty degree, buy a forty six degree, like all the way down to that point, almost pitching wedge level, depending on your loss. Is there any information you've seen? there because i went for me when i was getting fit for one i was like well i'm not sure should i go with the iron set i have should i go independent manufacturer independent manufacturer go with my other wedges which are vokies what should i be doing there ended up going with the with my iron set but tell us a little bit if there's anything you've learned in that area tell us a little bit about it 
Yeah, it's it's an excellent point, and and you're right. There's going to be a theme here, and you, you kind of keep coming back to the fact that like in an ideal world, you'd be able to try all those options. Wedge fitting is incredibly difficult in an in-person club fitting event for multiple reasons that we haven't really brought up yet, and this might be an opportune time to do so. And that a lot of times when you're doing a wedge fitting, you're you're indoors, and so you're not really getting to see how those wedges are interacting with the different turfs. And, you know, you're, you're using synthetic turf, you're using artificial turf, you're using a hitting mat, those kind of things. And those have dramatic results on the output that the actual golf club is producing, especially when you're talking about wedges. And so that further complicates the problem. But to, to very specifically answer your, your kind of query about, you know, what we've learned, how we do it, uh, the, the answer is, is unfortunately a complex one in that it's, it's very, very player specific and a lot of the, you know, what best pitching wedge is for you or what best kind of, you know, gap or attack wedge, whatever you want to call that spot um, is for you depends on how you're going to be using it. So I will provide some very generalized recommendations for that area, but this is by no means um, specific to any, any, any particular golfer that might be listening. Essentially, the more versatility you want in a wedge, the more you want to lean into the specialized Vokies or something like that. If you're just going to be playing the wedge as a stock yardage, like for example, I hit my pitching wedge 100 yards or whatever your personal yards might be, and you're going to be basically using that the majority of the time for a full swing, it's better to treat it like an iron. Essentially, you know, the more your pitching wedge becomes like your sand wedge, the more you want it to be a specialized wedge. The more your pitching wedge gets used like your nine iron, the more, you know, kind of sense it makes to go ahead and set match that. Earlier, you were talking about how, you know, an amateur's bag, they shouldn't have an eight iron that's the same club as a six iron. And so what I'm kind of envisioning is, you know, they'll have a thinner blade on the on the lower clubs and then a thicker blade on the on the higher clubs. And so can you just break down, you know, physically why it is better to have a thinner blade on the lower clubs and a thicker blade on the higher clubs? And you know, even for a really good player like Rory, you know, why does he use blades basically? Sure. Yeah, it, all, all excellent questions. So it is true that um, your, your kind of eight iron doesn't need to look like your six iron. This is mostly visible for, for people in like what you're talking about. Is there is there blade length kind of you know toe to heel? Uh, it might also be kind of the thickness of those soles. Um, what, you, what you'll see in a lot of irons is a thickness of the cavity in, in the top part. So like where the part that kind of sits next to the ground, essentially. And manufacturers know this. So even of the same brand of clubs even if you stay within the same club model you're going to get progressive cgs you're going to be get you be getting different shaped soles etc cetera, etc cetera, that help you play those different shots those you know kind of engineering decisions are made because of the loft being the dominant factor of those so you have you have to put the cg in a place that matches up with the loft so that you end up getting the intended outcome from those shots again you don't want your six iron to play like your eight iron but you kind of do want it to be you know, in the ballpark of windows, launch angles, those kinds, not necessarily the launch angles, more, more like peak height um, for those necessarily. And so you do want them to complement each other while still being very independent tools. And so again, you know, OEMs have solved this through progressive CGs and otherwise, but I will share some unique insights, if you will, based on this is, is so what happens as um, the majority of golfers move through their bag and their golf club changes length. So this would be less true for one length irons or something like that. But just for a standard progressive length iron set, what you will generally 
see is you'll see clubhead speeds drop as you go through the bag because your shaft gets shorter. And so the, the lever kind of becomes shorter in length. Your, your speed drops and you will see your path begin to kind of push more into out as you get shorter. And you will also see your attack angle go more down. So basically the reason in very short, the reason that you need a different six iron and eight iron is because your golf swing is different for your six iron and your eight iron and the intended results from those two clubs need to be different, but complementary. And so again, you're kind of balancing all these different flavors of changing golfer, changing goals and, and changing equipment. And all of those things kind of have to, to blend together to get the result that people are looking for. You talked about peak height. I think that's some, an important concept that maybe a lot of people aren't familiar with. I'm, I'm familiar with it, but tell us like, what is an optimal peak height look like? What does it vary for club? And that's a, me- that's a measurement too, like that the GC quad will give you. So tell us what optimal looks like or what kind of you're hoping for. Yeah, it's, it's, it is somewhat subjective and that some people want to see a higher or lower ball flight. So, you know, with, with that caveated, uh, typically roughly the mile per hour head speed of your six iron is close to where you want to be in your peak height. Again, that varies a little bit by golfer, but as a general rule of thumb, that one's pretty good. You just go into a monitor, you can find the speed of your six iron. That's going to be roughly the height in feet that you want if you're if you're in meters, roughly a third of that. So here's a question for you again. You might not have an answer for it because it's off the cuff and a little specific. So let's say I go in and one of the problems I personally have, actually we're playing a game of let's solve Daniel's problems for him. And one of the one of the problems I have with my clubs, I got fit for them, I love them. And we still haven't fully like gone through the post fitting process, gone back in, tinkered with them, et cetera, because I'm still getting out there and playing with them. One of the things I know is my peak height with like my seven iron is somewhere around 120, 130 feet. I have pretty high club head speed with my seven iron. I think it's about anywhere between 99 and 102 would be my stock uh, swing, depending on how limber or loose I'm feeling that day. And so. That peak height, at least to me, sometimes a lot of times plays a little too high, gets caught up a little bit too much. And there's only so many things you can do besides changing your swing, which is like, and one of the things being is what people call quote unquote loft jacking. Tell us a little bit about how loft plays into something like peak height and what maybe if you're in my position or a position similar to my position, what someone should be doing to try to maybe make that flight a little bit more predictable, and a little less floaty. Yeah. So it- yeah, great. Excellent question. Based on the numbers that you just said, if I'm recalling them correctly, it does feel like it's a little bit too high. Like let's assume that you, you know, you do swing your seven iron roughly a hundred miles per hour. That, that means your six iron swing speed, which the six and the seven is where we base a lot of our kind of inferences off of is going to be roughly 3% faster, give or take um, than that. So you're looking at somewhere around a hundred to 103, 104 mile per hour swing speed with your six iron. So that, that is roughly your peak height. I mean, you're probably 10 feet if we're, if we're nitpicking you know, 10 to 15 feet too high in that seven iron peak height, as you're describing. Now, how you would address that and kind of the questions that you asked around that is it's not just loft. Um, so you have to think of loft and center of gravity always working in concert. So the two are inextricably linked. You, you cannot separate them. You also have to start thinking about lie angle and face angle because those will dictate it. But for the sake of this discussion, we'll say very simply around loft and center of gravity because those two are the ball flight you will get are subsequently directly dependent on those two things. You can, as you said, just simply decrease your loft, strengthen the loft a little bit to take down the ball flight. Now that's going to come with an increase in distance, typically assuming all else is the same. What you can start to do, and this harkens back to 
one of Cooper's earlier questions on why Rory or somebody else might play Blades. And that has to do specifically with two things, um, center of gravity being the predominant one. It might be a little bit of turf interaction because of the diversity of turfs that the PGA professionals are playing on. But for, for your specific case, Daniel, um, one of the things that you can think about if you're opposed to the loft simply being strengthened is to start to play with center of gravity. And you don't have to do that through like a, a new club purchase. You can do it on irons. The easiest way to do it is like lead tape. So if you move lead tape higher in the blade, and when I say higher in the blade, I mean if you're playing the iron in the address position, so it's behind the golf ball, it would be closest to you. So like closest to the top of the golf club, if you will, when it's in its playing position. And what that's going to do is that's going to marginally move the center of gravity higher in that club face. And center of gravity works inverse to the position as far as the subsequent ball flight is related. So a higher center of gravity is going to give you all things being equal, a lower ball flight, lower center of gravity is going to give you a higher ball flight. Kind of touched on this earlier, but as far as one length sets go or just one length iron sets go, what are the advantages and disadvantages of playing them? It's a good question. It's not something that we have a wealth of information about, specifically because there are just fewer sets available and fewer a lower number of golfers are using them. So I think there are probably other people that are more well qualified to answer that question. But I can I can tell you just very briefly, um again, I'm not a swing coach. There probably is an argument to be made around one side, uh, one one length irons that you can have a simplified approach to your golf swing. Like I said, you don't really have to change your golf swing, your setup, you know, comparing your eight iron to your four iron when, you know, when when they're one length. The kind of converse side of that the, the negatives of one length are it's a, it's a much more difficult engineering challenge to build an eight iron and a four iron that are very distinct in performance while being the same length. Because again, going back to our earlier conversation, if you have the same length of shaft, a lot of those swing changes that I was talking about, like your swing speed decreasing, your path moving further to the right and your attack angle becoming more negative, kind of diminish or kind of go away at all. When you're comparing your four iron and your eight iron. So those club heads have to be very, very specifically engineered to do the kind of to fit in their proper role when they're the same length. And that's why you've seen, you know, hundreds or thousands of iterations for Bryson's one length irons. That each each one of those club heads are built very specifically to fill the exact role he needs. Now there's other qualifications of of Bryson that make him unique as a as a club fitting challenge as well, like his intense speed and that kind of thing. But even even for an amateur golfer, the one length just needs a very, very careful uh, tinkering, um, and just, that can be challenging. Speaking of Bryson, you know, kind of brings me to my next question, which is, you know, PJ Tour pros on their own, they get very, very good. I mean, the best in the world club fitting. And do you think that Golf EQ can improve the club fitting process for even the best in the world? And how so? Yeah, I mean, the, I, I think the answer is a tentative Yes. It, it's a yes because even if you, even if your full time job would be testing golf clubs, there's still like, just as a, as an example, there's over 100,000 potential combinations of titleist drivers in any release cycle. So that's just titleist drivers. You know, that's 100,000 titleist drivers you have to go through before even jumping to other brands or jumping to Fairywoods, Hybrids, et cetera. So even if club testing is your full time job, there is still time and inventory constraints on that. So yes, being able to measure your golf swing and then get a short list of clubs with a high probability of being your best fits and then testing those is still beneficial to golfers at all levels. It it has 
a significantly reduced value proposition for tour professionals because like you're saying, they work with a golf equipment expert and a golf club fitter and their coach and their caddy on a full-time basis. So for example, they're, they're never done club fitting. They don't, they don't just go for a club fitting, they get the recommendation, they move on. They are constantly fitting. They're constantly tailoring their equipment to the golf courses they're playing that week. They're constantly tailoring, you know, Rory's swapping out shafts. He's going back in your model and drivers. He's, you know, swapping in a new 60 degree wedge, et cetera, et cetera. He's tinkering out with putters, those kinds of things. So we envision our system, you know, kind of nodding back to earlier in our conversations, we envision our system to kind of be that full-time artificially intelligent companion to help people improve their golf game over time, rather than relying on these snapshot incidents, such that amateur golfers can get the more kind of tour level expert experiences that, that the, that the players that are getting paid to do this professionally are producing. One of the things I wanted to ask about, you mentioned wedge fitting. We talked about how wedges are a little bit complicated because you can't get outside oftentimes. Tell us about maybe what an ideal wedge fitting looks like, what you hope that with Golf EQ, other people can do to get a solid wedge fitting, kind of the challenges and opportunities that lie there. Sure. Yeah, excellent question. So I'll start with the absolute best fitting. And full disclosure, this is not something that we ever really plan to offer at Golf EQ just because it, it's just not really our expertise. But it's it's basically a full wedge fitting at a like a full-blown bogey facility or otherwise, where they have essentially their entire inventory of wedges. They have the golf ball that you'll be gaming, and they're able to take you onto a diversity of grasses. They're able to put you in the bunker. They're able to watch you hit all kinds of shots. So essentially, the very short answer is you need all the potential products and you need you know, as much time as necessary for you to get through them to get a you know 100% foolproof wedge fitting. That being said, the way that you can handle that for golfers that do not have that time or that luxury or simply even just that desire to devote uh, devote that much energy and attention to their equipment choices, you can correlate the performance indoors for the types of grasses that each specific golfer is going to be playing on most frequently outdoors. And so what we've done is is we've we've gotten more fortunate here in North Carolina and that we have a decent diversity of the different types of, of courses and grasses and I am by no means a a golf course, you know, grass expert. Um, so that, that, that goes beyond, uh, my expertise. But what we've done is for each of the grass types that we can kind of get our hands on, we take a handful of wedges out. We hit them with the golf balls, uh, that the golfers choose to test with outside. And then we hit them on the mats that we have in our testing facility. And we do uh, a fairly simple correlation between those two. So that if we know, um, for example, like the thing that happens with irons and wedges is that launch goes up and spin goes down almost across the board universally on a on a turf a mat compared to outside so even independent of the type of grass you, you basically always get higher launch lower spin indoors than outdoors but that that correlation or that change varies depending on depending on what type of grass you're playing on outside and so essentially we have correlation factors for the intended use cases of each different golfer and we can take the data that we can capture inside and then again correlate that to the data that they should be experiencing in, in the real world outside. You mentioned something about golf balls there, and I think we have a few more questions left. This will be one of the last ones I ask, which is, okay, so we need to be fitting for our irons, other things with the right golf ball. And at the same time, the question is how much does the golf ball rely on the irons? Like which, which do you get fit for first going into that fitting process? And are they dependent on each other potentially? And tell us about the problems associated with that. And again, 
opportunities and what you kind of see the landscape looking like? Yeah. So this is, this can be a longer discussion. And when Cooper asked me earlier about the most overlooked part of amateur golf fitting, I, there's a part of me that would always answer the golf ball, but that's juxtaposed to the reality of the amateur golfers are constantly changing their golf ball. So a lot of them are playing the golf balls that they find. They might be a day old, they might be a week old, they might be a year old. And so we, we can talk at whatever length you would like about the detriments of playing used golf balls and how you probably shouldn't be doing that. But um, I also believe that a lot of people play golf to have fun. And that if one of the ways they need to have fun is to save money by using used golf balls, then I, then I would like them to do that. So having said all of that, circling back to your very specific question, um, the golf ball should be fit first because it's the only piece of equipment you can't change between clubs. So it's the only piece of equipment that stays constant between your eight iron, six iron, four iron, and driver. Therefore, the golf ball has to fit all of those clubs where each of those clubs could be engine specifically engineered and tailored to fit that golf ball, if that makes sense. So I recommend everybody um, go into a in-person golf club fitting with the golf ball that they know they're going to play or have a very specific discussion with that club fitter first about which golf ball they should be playing. For elite players, do you think that there's an advantage to switching the golf ball based on what course or weather conditions they're playing that week? It's a great question. I think generally the answer would be no, because one of the hardest things to do in golf is reach any level of consistency. And typically the less moving parts, the better. However, that being said, some golf balls perform remarkably better in the wind than others. So, you know, maybe you go to a U.S. Open somewhere where it's super windy and then all of a sudden, you know, maybe you are thinking about, I don't know, as an example, swapping from your typical Pro V1 to a Pro V1X left dash or something, you know, along those lines. But generally, I would caution golfers against it. I, I would I would have them maybe change their playing strategy for the course on a week-to-week basis, more so than I would have them tinkering with their equipment. We appreciate you taking the time to talk with us. And if I'm someone listening, I'm like, awesome. This sounds cool. This sounds like something I might want. This sounds like something that would be great for me in my next fitting. The following question is then, how do I get to, how do I get to use this? How do I find someone who has this? And if I'm a fitter listening and says, Hey, like I want my people to be fit into better stuff. How did those people get to work with you? Tell us a little bit about that and what your plan is on rolling out your product and technology. Sure. Yeah. All excellent questions. Thanks. Thanks so much. The, the short answer is we've been very slow and methodical and somewhat tactical in the way that we rolled out. We rolled out with some very specific partners in order to make sure that the recommendations we were providing were accurate and that we could make kind of tailored solutions for each one of those needs. If you're, if you're a golfer and you want to interact with us, we do offer one-on-one club fitting via a virtual consultation and people can, can get that service at golfeq.com. It's, it's golf-eq.com. They can find that service there. Um, that essentially acts as a, as a one-on-one video chat in which we'll collect the information and then we can, we can give those golfers their, their best fit recommendations that they can then follow up with a club fitter. As we scale up our, club fitter services, we will have an index of club fitters who are licensed and using the Golf EQ club fitting system so that golfers can seek those out. So seek out those in-person club fitting experiences. And and that experience is really the one that we would recommend that has them showing up 
at their local club fitter, it has kind of a 10 minute interview process in which the club fitter will get some information from them. They will also measure them on their launch monitor devices, the equipment that they currently have. They'll use that information to feed into our system before getting the results from us. And then those results are what will actually dictate the, the clubs and the, the combinations that they are testing in that given day. It will also um, provide them a profile that they can go home with for, to put in follow-up information over time. And then kind of the third arm is we, we are in the process of deploying with a strategic partner in the mobile app space such that rather than having to go see a full service club fitter golfers without access to those facilities will actually be able to interact with us on a continuous basis through a mobile app and be able to get a golf club fitting at any time from anywhere. And our goal would be to ultimately be able to capture all of the information that we need through smartphone cameras. There are select smartphone cameras that allow us to do that right now. It is not the majority of smartphone cameras, so we're limited in the functionality that we can provide. And so that is not a live feature that we have, but it is something that we are very much planning in coordination with, like I said, our, our kind of full-term caddy service. That is super cool. Well, the last question we ask every guest is, if you go back to yourself as a junior golfer, what is one thing you would tell yourself? And since you do a lot of the work in the club fitting area, et cetera, also we'd like to add in there, if you could tell a junior golfer just one thing, what would that one thing be? Yeah, I think it's it's interesting because as a as a junior golfer, again, my, my experience is, is somewhat unique in that I really didn't ever get a, a junior golf phase. So I, I think that if I, if I was reflecting on uh, my earliest days in golf, especially in college, it would just be to kind of enjoy the ups and downs of it. You know, I mean, I think as we all get older, we get a little bit busier. It, it becomes more difficult to find the time to uh, golf, especially if you're not working in golf. So I just, you know, just kind of enjoying it, not taking some of the bad shots, you know, as, as hard as I, as I, as I might have. And then to the second part of that question, what I would maybe advise junior golfers on for club fitting is probably don't spend too much and maybe even look in the secondhand market by very, you know, carefully selecting the clubs that might fit you because during that time, your game is going through large changes, not just necessarily due to your skill increasing, but also the changes that are due to kind of your body maturing, right? Depending on what age we're talking about here, you might be going through a growth spurt, you might be getting significantly stronger, those kind of things. So your equipment needs might be rapidly changing, especially compared to somebody who is, let's say, 35 and you know a fairly mature body and their golf game is fairly set in stone. Junior golfers' needs are changing constantly. So I would actually ask them probably save your money on, you know, buying that thousand dollar driver and instead buy something that you can quickly switch as your needs might change. Absolutely. Well, we appreciate you taking the time to join us. Tell us where people can find you, golf EQ, et cetera, on social media, website, all that kind of stuff. Yep. So I so our, our main landing page, like I said, at golfeq.com, that's golf eq.com. I'm personally available to connect on Instagram at dburrow golf um, i'm on twitter at damon burrow um and then also for golf club fitters please feel free to reach out dm me that kind of thing if they're interested in potentially beta testing our technology seeing if it would be a good fit for their club fitting studio etc awesome be sure to give damon a follow and check out golf eq and if you're listening to us on spotify or apple Podcasts, please subscribe and leave us a rating if you're listening on youtube please like and subscribe
This helps us get our message out to more people. And if you're trying to find us on social media, you can find us on Instagram at the tournament code and on Twitter at tournament code. As always, we appreciate you taking the time to join us and dive deeper into what it takes to play elite tournament golf. 